there are certain things, certain phrases that we Christians say that can annoy uh, non-believers, as many. Um, but, you know, in certain contexts, you can see, all right, maybe they have a point. Um, two of those phrases. One is, um, God is good and prayer works. I know you're thinking, wait a minute, Pastor, what are you saying? Do, do we have to call a pastor search committee? Because God is good and, and prayer does work. And no, that's, that's true. But when we, it, it can be off-putting when the, these things are said only because something good happened to, to me. So for instance, um, you know, I, I was looking for a new job, and, and I prayed. I asked God for a new job, and I got, a, I got a new job. God is good. Well, isn't God good even if you didn't get a new job? I mean, is God's goodness dependent on your situation? See, that's the impression we give. Or, um, you know, I, I was looking for a new job. I prayed for it, and I got a new job. Prayer works. Does that mean if you didn't get a job that prayer doesn't work? No, it, it, it's, see, that's the thing is that the issue is we can give the impression that God's goodness and his work is dependent on our situation, that how we assess our situation, how we assess if prayer works and if God is good is based on us. And if that's the case, then God's pretty small. And that is where I think uh, many unbelievers rightly push back. Because what can be a reassuring phrase and a true phrase for us, that God is good and prayer works, it can rightly be unsettling if, our, if we're the ultimate judges of what's good, if we are the ultimate judges of what works. Because history is littered with suffering from those that claim that God's on my side, God is good because he's doing what I want, and so I am grateful for those books of the Bible that unsettle us, that humble us, that remind us that God is so much bigger than our situations. Uh, books like the book of Job, Ecclesiastes, Lamentations, uh, the book of Habakkuk, the book that we're in our sermon series to, um, today and, and this, uh, this whole season. Because these books push against that idea that God is somehow working for us, that, uh, that, that the ultimate judge of what is good is us and not God. And our sermon series that we started last week, you know, living by faith when the world is falling apart, is that we are called to live by faith, not just when everything is great, but we need to live by faith when we don't, things don't make sense, and our prayers are not answered in the ways that we thought or the ways that we hope. When our situation is bad, we are still called to live by faith when our world is falling apart. And Habakkuk helps us in that. So we started it last week, but in case uh, you missed that, um, Habakkuk or Habakkuk, you can pronounce it either way. You can really pronounce it anyway, and no one will know the difference. But he wrote around 590 B.C., and he wrote at a time that was probably right after a big revival happened in Israel under King Josiah. Well, after only like a decade, that revival was in the rearview mirror, 
and Israel had started to uh, follow other gods, started to treat each other poorly. There was injustice. There was fighting. There was all sorts of awful things going on in the midst of God's people. And Habakkuk, he he sees this injustice. He sees uh, the evil that the Israelites, the people of God, are doing. And so he cries out to God and asks for God to intervene in the situation. And in verse 2, so we went through this last week, but just to review. So he cries out to God. Verse 2 of, of Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 2, he says, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and, um, and you will not hear, or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So you see, Habakkuk, he has faith in God, that God, he has faith in God's character and uh, God's commitments, that God is good. He doesn't like injustice. God has made a covenant with Israel. So God, I know that um, you want to intervene in the lives of your people. So he cries out to God, but he's asking God, how long before you act? Why are you allowing this to happen? He knows that God is good. He knows that prayer works, but his experiences right now are bad, and God, he can't sense God working in a way that he can see. But he still cries out to God. He asks God to intervene in Israel, to do something about the rulers and the unjust that are flourishing. And in our scripture, Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 5 through 11, God answers God answers Habakkuk. Prayer works. But God's answer confuses and disturbs him. So let's read Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. This is God answering Habakkuk. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. That's another word for the Babylonians. So I'm raising up the Babylonians, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the, the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. Wow. So God's reply to Habakkuk is, Habakkuk, I'm going to do something about your prayer. You've been asking me to, to do something. I'm going to do something, but you're not going to believe it and you're not going to like it. The Babylonians are coming, and they are going to remove all of the corruption and all the unjust Israelites that you have been asking for me to do something about. And Habakkuk is stunned because the Babylonians, they're even worse. And what's interesting in God's reply, he doesn't try to minimize the how bad the Babylonians are. Like, you know, yeah, they, they do some wrong things, but, you know, they're all made in the image of God, so it's not a big deal. No, he, he says the Babylonians, look at the words he uses. They are dreaded, fearsome. They take what isn't theirs. You know, 
houses, people. Their sense of wrong, he says, is based in themselves. He says their own might is their God. In other words, if they want to do something and can do something, they do it. They don't, they don't answer to any person, and they don't answer to God. So this is an evil, godless people. But God is telling Habakkuk, this is how he's answering his prayer. And Habakkuk is stunned. And again, we'll, next week we'll go into Habakkuk's response to God's response. So, how about you? Have you ever, like Habakkuk, prayed and things didn't turn out as you asked? Or even as you had hoped? Maybe you prayed for a loved one to, to heal, to get better. And they didn't get better. They got worse. Maybe they even died. Or you pray for the salvation in your family. You know that God desires all to be saved. You pray for revival and salvation in your family and in your church and in your community. And they just become more godless, more resistant to the gospel. Or maybe you're having trouble paying your bills. They just keep stacking up and you pray to God for some relief, but things just get worse. And you go further and further into debt. You see, like Habakkuk, we will have times in our life when our prayers will not be answered in the way that we're asking or the way that we hoped for. And here's the challenge. During those times, will we press into God even closer? Because those times are, are times where we truly must trust in God even when it doesn't make sense, even when things don't line up because otherwise, because a lot of times this is, if if we're really frank with ourselves, hi Frank, um, if we're really frank with ourselves, we, that when God, when we ask for God and He He answers our prayers just as we asked, and that happens a lot too. But then we're like, oh yeah, of course, and we we it's easy to see, you know, what God is doing in our lives. Why? Because it coincides with what we want, what we think is good, what we think is best. And if that's the case, then who's God? Who's the ultimate judge of what is good? And so it's the times when things just don't make sense. That is when our trust is tested. That is when it grows. And that's what Habakkuk brings us to, is that our faith will deepen and our connection of God will strengthen. Our connection with God will even be stronger than our circumstances. And so when we go through those times and when we look at Habakkuk, um, we, we learn some very important truths, even in the midst of our pain. And, and the first one is don't assume that because it didn't happen as you hoped or as you asked, that God is not at work. Because, again, Habakkuk is an example of this. 
Now, if God hadn't revealed himself to, to Habakkuk, what might Habakkuk have assumed? He might have assumed, all right, God, uh, you know, I've been praying that you would get rid of the injustice among my people. And then the Babylonians come, and there's even more injustice. Even though He might have assumed, now, God, you abandoned me. God, you're not here. But what does God do? He steps into Habakkuk's life, and he reveals to Habakkuk that, no, I am at work. I'm doing something that you don't understand, and I told you you're not going to like it, but I'm still there with you. I'm still at work. So we need to learn that, that sometimes things don't happen as we've asked, how we understand, but it doesn't mean God's not at work. Habakkuk could not say, no, God's not at work. He's like, no, God's at work. I don't understand it. I don't like it, but he's at work. You know, it reminds me of that old poem you know, when I was a kid, like in the 70s and 80s, it was, everyone had this up, the Footprints poem. Put that up there. I mean, you can't read it because it's long, but it's th- th- this guy has a vision or whatever. He has a dream of walking, you know, with Jesus on the, on the beach, and um, he sees there's two footprints, and he goes, you know, thank you, Jesus, for walking with me. But then he asks, he's like, but Jesus, I remember a lot of times when I was in my most difficult times of life where, you know, I would look, and there was only one set of footprints. Why weren't you with me? And then the thing about the, the poem is that, well, no, no, it, I was with you, but I was carrying you. See, and that's why it was so, that, that poem was so powerful, and that's why a lot of people have that on their desk, because that's the idea is that, yeah, it might seem like God's not there, but he is there, and sometimes he's carrying you, sometimes he's doing a work, but you just don't see it. You assume, like the person in the poem, no, God, you're not with me, but no, he is. He's working, and that's what this, um, that's what Habakkuk really emphasizes, and that's what this poem was about. It kind of captures some of the thoughts of of Habakkuk. The other thing that we learn in God's response is, you know, we just don't have the perspective, the eternal perspective, or even that we, we just have a finite mind to know if something good in the short term is good in the long term, but also that something good just for us or our group is good for the world and good for advancing God's plan. I think this has become especially difficult because, you know, as we've grown up in, in here, we're, we're so individualistic that we have trouble seeing things from, like, a group larger perspective, that there, there might be something going on in the world that's way bigger than me. No, our, we're, we suffer from a radical autonomy of self, and it's really become this prison where we can't see beyond ourselves, and that reality is all stuck in ourselves. But um, really what this shows us is that a lot of times we don't have that perspective. We can't see if something short-term is good in the long term. So, for instance, the Babylonian exile, I mean, it was horrible. It was horrible for those people like Habakkuk who went through it. it was, there was loss of life. There was uh, being captured by an enemy army and removed and brought to different places in the Babylonian empire. It was awful. But the Babylonian captivity didn't last forever. Although it may have lasted certain people's lifetimes, it didn't last forever. As verse 11 says, put 11 up, it says, then, this is the last verse in our scripture, it says, then they, then the Babylonians sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose might is their God. 
meaning that the mighty Babylonian armies and the mighty Babylonian empire who no one could stand against, they passed on into history. Right? They're gone. They were eclipsed by the Persian empire and eventually into non-existence. Right? We don't worry about the Babylonian armies anymore, do we? No, they don't even exist. See, nations rise and fall, and God will use different nations at different times, but they're all passing away. Now, in the, short, in the long term, in contrast, God and his people, they remain. They are eternal. So after the exile, right, the Babylonian Empire, they pass into obscurity. But who remains? Right? God's people, this tiny little group of people, the Israelites, they remain. And even after that, uh, Israel remained, but they also were changed. They were fundamentally changed after the exile. In the Old Testament, there are two primary um, events that really uh, change the identity of God's people. One is the Exodus, right, where they are um, brought to the promised land, but the other is the exile. And after the exile, um, Israel has changed in many ways. For one, the, the nation as a whole, they didn't succumb to idolatry and uh, following false gods like before. Now, certainly they did bad things and they were a little bit messed up in many other ways, but that constant um, following after the false gods of the nations around them, mm, that really didn't have the sway it did before. But also that in the exile, the Israelites learned how to maintain their identity based on God, not based on a land. So that the synagogue system developed. So that no matter where the Israelites were, they could worship God. They found their identity in the God of Israel. And then that ability to keep their identity apart from the promised land, this allowed Judaism and then eventually Christianity that came after it to become global, to be able to function no matter where they were and to survive. But the point is, is that we as humans, we have such a limited perspective that it's hard for us to, deter, to discern the eternal picture. When Habakkuk, when he was told about the Babylonian army, he's like, ah, this does not make sense. He couldn't see down the road. He couldn't see how anything good could come of this. Or that, well, God, couldn't you do those same things without this? It's hard for us to discern. Because God, he's working on an eternal level. He has a plan that's so much bigger than any one person, even bigger than any one nation. I mean, uh, in Isaiah chapter 40, this is what uh, God says about the nations. Right? All the nations. He says, behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket that are accounted as the dust of the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. So I'm going to chase a little rabbit here. We need to be humble and we need to be careful when we proclaim God's will for this nation or that nation. One interpretive mistake that has haunted Christianity since Constantine converted, that's Emperor Constantine of the Roman Empire, look him up, um, is fusing 
our nation or kingdom with Old Testament Israel or the people of God. So the redeemed of Christ from all time and all places now are the people of God. Okay? There's no geopolitical entity that is the people of God now. Uh, so, for instance, the United Kingdom. Uh, the Church of England is the official church of the United Kingdom. Right? That does not mean that the United Kingdom is the people of God or that the, that the uh, queen is the co-regent with God. <laughs> No, now that Christ has come, he has won for himself a people of every tongue, tribe, and nation. And so, the United Kingdom is not the people of God. It's not the kingdom of God. America is not the people of God. It's not Israel. See, I often see people taking promises meant for Old Testament Israel and applying them to whatever nation or whatever group they're in. It's a part of our larger sinful propensity to assume that what we want and what our will is, is must be God's will. We do that as individuals, but then we also do it as groups, and we do it as nations. But nations, they'll rise and they'll fall. But God's people and God's plan remain. And we need to be careful. We need to be careful because Sometimes when we say certain things, it's like, well, do you know that's God's will? And I mean, look at Habakkuk. Here, it truly was Old Testament Israel, and God had truly brought them to that land. That was that, na that geopolitical entity known as the, the people of Israel in the Old Testament. That was God's people. And even then, God is using the Babylonians. Whoa. And so... That gives us pause. That should cause us to be humble and dependent when we're praying for anything. When we're praying for national things, when we're praying for personal things, it's not my will be done, God. It's let thy will be done. And there needs to be that humility. There needs to be that pressing into God and understanding that apart from God's revelation, we might we might not discern how God is working or how these awful circumstances, how they're going to work to bring God's bigger plan, but we know God has a bigger plan. And it's bigger than me. It's bigger than my group. It's bigger than my nation. It's global. It's eternal. And we have to keep that perspective in our hearts. And we sometimes have trouble seeing how he's working, but we do trust that he's working. And that's why, and so some of you might be thinking, well, how do we pray then? I mean, do we pray when we're not even, you know, we can't just pray in boldness? No, we pray in boldness, but we pray in boldness about who God is. We pray in boldness knowing that he is loving, he is just, he is good, he has a plan. And so we pray, God, your will be done, but bring me into your will. Bring my mind and my thoughts into alignment with who you are, not the other way around. And we do so pressing into God, understanding that prayer is crucial to our relationship with God. It's crucial to faith building. We trust his word. We trust that, yes, he is near when we call upon him. But we need to do it with the right mindset that God is God. I am not. And so, yes, yes, we can ask God for anything. Yes, we can pray boldly. But when it comes down to it, I trust 
in God more than I trust in my own ability to discern what's best and what is needed. And that's why we press into God all the more. That's why we need to set aside those times of prayer when we're just like, God, I'm pressing in. I want to know you more. I didn't mention it in the announcements because I'm going to mention it now, but, you know, tonight at 6, we have our prayer and praise time. And why do we do that monthly? We do that because we understand we have a need where we're not setting the agenda. It's not like, all right, we're going to do this song and we're going to do, you know, this these are the elements that have to be in the service. It's a very spontaneous time where we come to specifically pray and praise God because we understand that, no, no, I need to put every, my own will aside and just seek him. And, and we have to be intentional. So we set aside times once a month, second Sunday at 6 o'clock. We, we gather and we do that. It's not that we can't do it other times, but we need to be intentional about saying, Man, God, I want your will to be done, but I also understand I need to set aside time just to seek your will. Because what do we do? We automatically assume, this is what I like. This is what I think is good. This is what I think is best. So, oh, it must be what that's what God is. God's on my side. He's always on my side. Well, what about Habakkuk? What about all the scriptures that say, wait a minute. Do you really know what's going on? So we press into God. And that's so important because we will all, it's, it's important not just so that we don't blend God's will and our will and, and mix that up and, and, and confuse people and, and push people away from God. It's also so important because we will go through times in our life when God just doesn't make sense. What he is doing, we can't see how it's for the better. And there's so many testimonies of, of many in this room and watching who could, who could give testimonies about, yeah, this happened, and I still, I still don't understand how this works out. I don't understand how it's good, but I'm pressing into God. I, I've mentioned her before, but I want to talk about Jessica Sachs. Could you put her picture up there? Jessica Sachs was... Um, a young woman who was a part, when we started Mercy House Church in Amherst, she was one of the first people who were a part of it. She was one of the first graduates um, that went through our church, and uh, she got a job in Boston, and she was in the first plane that hit the World Trade Center. And I remember in the weeks afterwards uh, thinking about what, would, what was that like for her? Because I knew she was a, a, a young woman of prayer. One of the things that we could depend on for Jessica, when people were kind of, you know, students that, uh, like they do, they're running around not knowing, you know, she would say, well, then let's pray. She said, no, let's pray about it. And so in my mind, I imagined, what, what was that like for her? I, I assume that she probably prayed what I would have prayed, and that is, Lord, let this not end in any more loss of life. Lord, could, could all these passengers, all these hostages, could, could we come out alive without any more loss of life? And we know that didn't happen. In fact, there was more loss of life than I'm sure she even imagined. I definitely know there's more loss of life than she prayed for. And so although... 
two decades have given me more perspective. And yes, you know, I've talked with people. I see that there, there, there has been some blessings in that there's still always going to be that part of, for me, but also for her parents and the people that were closest to her. God, that doesn't make sense. God, you didn't answer that pray, prayer in any way that makes sense to me that I can see. And that's just one example. There are so many examples here in this place uh, where, again, you prayed for God to do something, and, and, and he was there, but he did not answer the prayer in any way that you thought, any way that you can make sense, even if you take your whole rest of your lifetime, even if God would come in and, and download upon you on a vision of, all right, let me explain it to you. It's still... Because of our finite human minds, it, it still wouldn't make sense. A part of it, at least. Even if he showed some of it, we're like, okay, I can see that, I can see that. But there will always be a part. It doesn't make sense. But we don't have to understand in order to press into God. Really, it's these times where we need to be like an infant in, in her mother's arms, where when, when an infant, you've seen this before, where a newborn infant, right, they're, they're being carried around, and there's something scary going on, there's something confusing, like people are being loud, or there's loud machines, or whatever. What does that infant do? They buries their head in their mother's chest. They press in. That infant presses in because they know that they are where they need to be. They're in the safest place, even though it doesn't make sense. Even in their little baby mind, they don't know, like, man, what are those things? Those are fireworks, and you launch those off, like, you know, for fun? This is crazy. <laughs> I, I remember doing that when we brought our, our kids when they were little infants to the fireworks. They did not like it at all. And they like, why? Why are you doing this? And, and, and we chuckle, but the thing is, is that we often too quickly, and I don't know if it's because we're trying to protect God's character or something, that we jump to, like, okay, well, here's some reasons. Here's some good that could have come out of that. And, and what happens is that especially if this is a hurt that's really close to somebody, it can minimize their pain. As if, no, oh, no, it wasn't as bad as your thought. Meanwhile, the person's heart is broken. And we can minimize their pain. But we can also actually misrepresent God in saying, well, maybe he did this, maybe that. Well, well, maybe, but we really don't know a lot of times. Because that's what happened with Job and his friends. Do you remember Job's friends? Awful stuff happened to Job. He lost his family. He lost everything. He caught all these diseases. And his friends come to comfort him. And what did they say? They actually, if you read Job, and there's a lot of chapters, but I encourage you to read it, a lot of times his friends, the things they are saying are theologically true. They are saying theological truths like God is good, prayer works, and they're saying, and, but they actually misrepresent God. God isn't doing what they say he's doing. You see, we're so, we have such a finite mind that we can end up giving a false account of what God is doing. All right, and, and I know even now, I mean, I sense it like, you know, as a preacher, I want to I wanna whip you up. I want you to go away and be like on cloud nine being like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm all pumped. But when our faith is 
only rah-rah hype what happens when these things happen. When we pray and we just, it just doesn't make sense. We'll either lose our faith or we'll just sort of step away. Say, God, I just can't understand you. But here's some good news. And that is that we actually, if, if Hab, you know, Habakkuk couldn't understand it, but we actually have more revelation than Habakkuk. I mean, you might be thinking, well, wait, how is that possible? I mean, God spoke to Habakkuk. He gave him a vision. He was a prophet of the Old Testament after all. How is that possible? Well, we have that revelation in Jesus Christ. We have that revelation in the person and work of Jesus Christ so that even when things don't make sense, we know that, wait, God is working because he did work. Like when we cry out to God, God, do something about the sin and the suffering in this world. Here, we uh, on this side of the cross can see, well, God did do something. He did answer the, the prayers that he entered into sin and suffering and he defeated it from the inside out. Now, we don't, we don't worship a God who's like aloof and says, yeah, maybe I'll do, I'll do something about that, you know, someday. No, he entered into sin. He took on human flesh and he suffered so that when you're suffering and your suffering is real and it is painful, you can look to our, the God and finisher of our faith, Jesus Christ, and know that he also suffered. And so that he not only understands, but that he has defeated that sin and suffering for all time so that your eternity, the eternity of your loved ones is secure. And he did that by entering in. And because of that, in the meantime, when we are in situations we just can't understand it, like, I, I, God, I can't make sense of this, we can trust him because and you know I say this all the time, but it's true, is, it, is that I can trust somebody who died for me, right? If you've suffered and given your life for me, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt, even if I can't understand why this is happening. I mean, you, you gave your life for me? Well, then I can trust you even if I don't understand how or why this particular thing is going on or how it works out for good. No, I'm just going to press in. Like that infant in the mother's chest, because I can trust him. He, he gave his life for me. And that is the revelation that we have in Christ. So, yes, God is good. And yes, prayer works. But God is good even when my circumstances are bad. And prayer works even when I can't see how it's working. And I can hold that truth and I can walk in that faith because I see Christ and his suffering, him giving his life. So, yeah, I don't understand everything. And, you know, I know as a pastor, lots of you might come to me and say, Pastor, I don't get this. And a lot of times I'll say, I don't either. <laughs> but I do know. One thing I know, one thing I've become convinced of is that God is good and prayer works because Christ was on the cross for me and for you. 
And that truth I will cling to. That is the rock. That is the gospel. And it's a foundation we can stand on even when the storms of life, even when life is falling apart, even when our world is falling apart, even when nations rise and fall, the gospel remains, Christ remains, and we can cling to him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we do cling to you. And I know, Lord, I know that in this congregation, those online, there are people whose hearts are broken and they have been spending their lifetime wondering, Lord, and, and trying to make sense of tragedy and difficult things that they asked you about. Lord, I pray that your spirit would move in our hearts, that you would bring that comfort and that conviction Lord, that you would help us see the revelation and the beauty of your son Jesus to such a degree that we're able to cling to you with joy even in the midst of tragedy. Lord, we can only do this because you're a God who loves. You're a God who's given your life. Lord Jesus, help us to rejoice in this gift that you've given us. Lord, help us to cling to you and Lord, do that during this song. Lord, would you be, Holy Spirit, would you be ministering to our hearts, giving us that firm conviction based in your will, Lord, not based on our will. And Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the reassurance. We thank you for the blood of Christ that is stronger than any sin or suffering that we come in contact in this world. We praise your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.